Hand tells the story about a medieval situation. Um, in the medieval court, there were the king, the queen, the lords were all around, uh, the maids, but there was one particular individual who had a unique job, and his job was to keep the king humble, to remind the king of his own faults, his own problems, and to remind him again that he was not without fault. And the job was given to the court jester. That was the court jester's job. Uh, someone that would continue to remind the king that he was just human. Well, uh, P.L. Tan says that in this particular situation, the jester went a little too far. And the king, who had all authority and all power, decided he had had enough of this jester, and so he said, you will be put to death. Well, that shocked the whole court, and it shocked the jester. And the queen asked for a private audience with the king and talked to him about that and said, now, this is the best jester we've ever had, and he only speaks truth to you, and you need him. So you better rethink it. Well, the difficulty is once the king had made the decision, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't not make it. He, he couldn't change it. But he could do one thing. He could modify it. And so he drew the court back together, brought the jester back in from the dungeon, and he said to him, you have been loyal servant to this kingdom and to this king. And I appreciate that servant. So I'm going to permit you to select the means by which you will die. Wasn't an instant went by. And the jester looked up at the king and he said, King, I choose to die by old age. <laughs> now, this morning's sermon is not just for senior adults. It's for all of us. It's directed to senior adults by Paul, but it's to every one of us. Why? Because unless death comes, every one of us here is going to be a senior adult at one time. And so this is what God expects of senior adults. Now, if you listen to this sermon and say, that's not me, uh, that's not what I want to be, and you're a senior adult, then you better get doing some stuff. You better change some things, because this is what God requires of you. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, I would invite you to open your Bibles to that passage of Scripture, and I would invite you to stand in honor of God's Word. If you do not have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew. Take the Bible out. It is your Bible. Take it home with you. But Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, let's look at what the Scripture says. Walk, a wise word, a word to the wise, walk the talk. The Scripture says this. But as for you, speak the things which are proper of sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, relevant, or reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Please be seated. God has an expectation for his church. And what God expects of his church is that they would walk the walk and talk the talk. He expects them to practice what they preach. And if we claim to know God, then we prove that through our lifestyle. Now, sweet friends, one of the reasons that the people aren't coming to Christ is because they don't see Christ in us. 
There has to be changes in us to be like our Savior. Now, am I saying you got to become like the pastor? No. What I'm saying is you got to become like Jesus, and that's for all of us. That's what God expects of us. The healthy church is not about your personal opinion, nor about cultural standards. The church, the healthy church, is about that which God has called us to. It's not about our self-fulfillment. It is not the me generation. It is about what God has called us to. The church needs older individuals that follow Christ. It needs younger individuals that follow Christ. It needs all of them working together, ministering in Christ to one another and the people around them. And the bridge from older to younger is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is for all of us this message. Lessons are more caught than taught. Pastor, what do you mean? People are going to remember what you do more than what you say. Now, honestly, if I were to catch you on Thursday of this week and ask you what my text was this morning, how many of you would be able to tell me? Thank you for not raising your hands because I was going to look for you Thursday you're probably not going to remember. Now, unless you're like the Dickersons and you take notes, you're probably not even going to remember what I say. But I got news for you. You see me walk out of a liquor store and you will remember that, won't you? Won't you? It's way we live our lives. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, I need some role models in my church. Now, what does he say? Go back to verse 1. Look at what he says. But as for you, speak the things which are proper in sound doctrine. Uh, That's what I do every Sunday. I try to present to you not my opinion, not my philosophy, not my educational background, not my wants or needs or hurts. I try to present to you the sound doctrine of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives are based upon our faith in Jesus Christ, what we have learned from the Scripture itself. And the profile of a lifestyle that is based upon that is given to us in Titus. In chapter 1, Titus speaks of what it is to have the lifestyle of a minister, how a minister is to live his life. Now, now, sweet friend, ministers and lay people are all equal in the sight of God. But if you're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're to live your life according to the word of God. Does that mean you never failed? No, all of us fail. <clears throat> Does that mean you're never a hypocrite? No, all of us are hypocrites. But it means this, my life is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me say something else. If you call yourself a minister and you do not follow the gospel of Jesus, please, for Christ's sake, get out of the ministry. Follow Jesus Christ. And all of you would expect that. You would expect your pastor to live according to the word. James Draper said this, a Christ-like preacher is important to the church, but a Christ-like congregation is just as essential. And after speaking to the ministers about sound doctrine, how they're to live their lives, where does Paul go? He goes to the congregation, the godly congregation, and he begins, look at what it says in 2, with the older men. 
Now, Philemon chapter or Philemon 9, the same word is used here where it speaks of older men. And Paul is speaking about it himself. And in the passage in Philemon 9, Paul is about 60 years old or somewhere in his 60s. And so when we look at this older men in verse 2, what we're talking about, those that are 60 and above, that's what he's speaking about. They're to live their lives in such a way that they influence not only their peers, but the younger ones in the congregation. Senior adults, you're not just to stay in your little cove of senior adults. You're to go out of your way to search for the young ones who need your witness and need your strength. That's what the Scripture is saying. A godly senior adult is an example of a faithful lifestyle. That's what Paul is saying. And that's for all of us, whether we're a senior adult or not. Okay, so what does it mean? What is the walk to talk? What does it mean what God expects of us? Seven ideas. One, it is a lifestyle of discretion. Look at what the Scripture says. Go back to verse 2. Now, if you're new with this, what we do is we look at the Word of God and see what the Word of God has to say to us, okay? So go to verse 2. The first word that is used there is what? In describing a godly lifestyle. What is that word? What, what? Good. Sober. All right. What are some of the other translations? Self-control. Okay. Now, why in the world did Paul write to these men in their 60s and 70s and 80s about being sober? Well, it's a lifestyle of discretion. Joe Nelson says this. The people of Crete, where Titus was, were dedicated to a national pastime. That national pastime was drinking. And, and Christian men were to be an example of being sober, not being drunk, not being worthless. Because to be drunk in the congregation was to hurt and damage the congregation. It is a lifestyle of discretion. What does that mean? That means to be stable no matter what happens around you. That's the idea there. A discretion, a, an idea that you stand fast, clear-minded, not clouded by anything else, not clouded by what you want, what you want to do, but when the congregation looks, they see someone who stands strong. It also means to exercise restraint. It, it means to put away those things that do not honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, senior adults, hear me. The Lord has an expectation of you to be an example to the young ones. And, and part of that inside of your life is a discretion, an ability to be sober, an ability to put things out of your life. Let me say it again. I've said it many times. It's not all about you. It's about him. Your life is a gift given unto him. And you're to be stable no matter what takes place, no matter what the doctor says. And you're to exercise a restraint. And your lifestyle must be one of wisdom. Careful about making decisions. You see, the congregation is going to watch you get older. They're going to watch you have to make decisions about what, how you're going to live your life and what's going to take place. And they're going to want to see someone who's wise. Someone who's discerning. Can I come back? Somebody that trusts Jesus. 
Don't misunderstand me. Am I saying that those senior adults are to be perfect? No. But the congregation is to see inside of you a wisdom, a complete dependence on Christ and a lifestyle that is vigilant and alert to any danger in the body. You see, one of the wonderful things about having white hair is that I've seen lots of things in a congregation, and I know the things that hurt a congregation. You want to know what the hardest thing to do in a congregation, a Baptist is? Keep unity. Because everybody has their own opinion of what they think needs to be done. Senior adults, you're to be those that bring peace, not division. And, and please let me tell you something. That's not because you answer to me. That's because God expects that of you. God has given you long life for a reason. You know, all that preacher is talking about is those senior adults. No, sweet one in your 20s and 30s and 40s, do you want to get to your 70s? Then you better obey God. You better realize what needs to be in your life. A life of discretion. Two, a life of respect. Look at that, reverent. That's the word that is there in verse 2. The word reverent, what does that mean? Well, what's a lifestyle that is filled with respect? A reverent lifestyle. Well, it's a lifestyle that is not superficial, frivolous, or trivial. It's not a lifestyle that thinks always about itself. It's not a lifestyle that is overbearing, quick-tempered, violent, dishonest. That is not a man who is worthy of respect or a woman who is worthy of respect. Again, it's not all about you. It's about the witness for Christ. Does that mean somebody who never smiles? No, it's somebody that has a wonderful sense of humor and loves people. We had an individual in this church, a senior adult. I loved him with all my whole heart. But you know what he did? He worked with the ushers. He spent time with people. He talked with people. And he particularly talked with children. How in the world do senior adults relate to children? Well, I'll tell you how Beatty did it. Anybody know what juicy fruit is? And some of you laugh, you know. Beatty would take those juicy fruit gum sticks, he would take them apart, and he'd put a dollar bill in there. And then he'd wrap them back up. Now, and he'd give them to children. Now, I've been told there's nothing dirtier in the world than a dollar bill. But I never heard a mama say, don't give that dollar bill to my child. And I never saw a child that didn't chew the gum in church. Thank you, BD. You can relate to them. If you get outside of your own corner and your own needs and your own hurts. Now, does that mean you don't have woes? No. You do. Getting older is not easy. But it's a little bit better than the alternative, all right? A lifestyle of respect, not superficial, not frivolous, not trivial, and a lifestyle that does not participate in vulgarity. The Greek word here is enos. It means dignified. It means there is no place in the senior adult's life who knows Christ for loose talk, bad language, coarse words, 
dirty stories, gossip. Now, sweet friends, please understand something. It's not heaven and hell, but if you're a Christian, you're going to stand before Jesus. And if you've got a gossiping tongue, you're going to have to lay that sucker on the altar of God, all right? Don't, don't get caught like that. A life worthy of respect earns the respect. How? By imitating Christ's way of life. By living like Jesus. By talking to Jesus. By spending time with Jesus. By loving him. By every day growing to be more and more like Christ. Because, sweet friends, we live our lives to bring honor and glory to Jesus, not to ourselves. <laughs> Boy, this is, this is, I mean, it's nothing's about me. What, what about me? Sweet friend, you honor the Lord Jesus Christ with your life here on earth. And the Lord God will recognize that and he will give you eternity in the most glorious place you have ever seen, beyond your imagination. But you live for yourself down here, and there's another abode. The benefits of living a life of respect are beyond imagination. A lifestyle of self-discipline. Temperate is the word that is given to us in verse 2. Scripture says discretion, respect, temperate. Peter the Great once said this, I have conquered an empire, but I have not been able to conquer myself. One of the most destructive forces in all of the universe, one of the most destructive forces in the church are individuals who cannot control their passion. Temperate. What does that word mean? It means a, people, a person who is sensible, a person who is disciplined, a person who walks with God and follows his guidance. That's what the scripture means. And sweet friends, that's what the world wants to see in us. Why be self-disciplined? Because a self-disciplined person is in control of their lifestyle because they're strong, because they have no bad habits? No. Because of their commitment to Christ. Why control your tongue? Because every time you step out, you're an ambassador for Jesus. Why control your passions? Because in this world, they're watching you to see if Christ is really real. What does it mean, this commitment of self-discipline? It means a sound mind. It means one that is not moved by all the distractions of life. One who watches how they live, what they say, how they act. The self-disciplined person has a proper perspective on life, a positive effect upon his mental condition and his emotional stability. That's what self-discipline does. Self-discipline comes into our life and removes those things that do not honor the Lord. And it brings to us a stability. What kind of stability? The knowledge that no matter what takes place around us, the Lord God is with us and he will guide us to the end. 
And that brings mental stability. It brings a sense of purpose in life. A self-disciplined person possesses discretion, discernment, because their faith has been tested. You get to your pastor's age, there ought to be a discretion and discernment. I've just come back from Hannibal LaGrange where I chair the trustees. And I discovered in about a six-hour meeting yesterday that I probably didn't say 20 words. But at the right time when I should say something to help guide the discussion, God gave me the words. When I was younger, I talked too much. Right now, I lean upon the Lord and let Him bring about the words to be said. The lifestyle is a lifestyle of discretion to be sober. It is a lifestyle of respect, reverend. It is a lifestyle of self-discipline, temperate. It is a lifestyle of sound in faith. It's a lifestyle of faith. You can't do what I'm saying unless it's by faith. Sound faith. What does the word sound mean? It means healthy. It means proper. It means whole. What the scripture is saying is the individual believes God's word and stands upon God's word in faith. You see that? The article is there. It should be the faith. And what does that mean? It means the Bible. It means the word of God that is given unto us. Faith that God's word is true and incorruptible. That's what describes it. Sweet friend, do you believe it? I know we carry it around like life insurance. We say we believe it. But can I tell you the mark of believing the word of God? It's living by it. Well, pastor, it's perfect and I can't. I understand that. But you're to live by this word, not by the stock market. Not by the authority of this world, but his word. Let it guide you. Let it strengthen you. Pastor, that that sounds so... Yes, that's what I believe. I believe before you were born, God's word was deemed to speak to the needs that you have in your life. And if you'll spend time in it, God will give you direction. A sound faith, a lifestyle of faith, faith that God can be trusted to work out his plan. Do you believe that? The doctor has said the cancer is incurable. The doctor has said you got arthritis. The doctor has said your kidney's not going to work anymore. So you got to go to dialysis. Are you going to put your faith in God? Because senior adults, let me tell you something. The young people are watching you to see if this thing of Christianity is really true. When you're really getting a tough spot, can you trust God? For some of you right now, you're, you're saying to yourself, why in the world did I come to this Sunday? All right. But this is God's example for us. A lifestyle of loving. 
unconditional. Scripture says in verse 2, in love. Jesus said it this way in John 13, 35. He said this, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's nothing in that that says that by the way you, how many times you come to church, if you've been baptized, if you've joined the church, if you've never sinned. Jesus said, the world is going to know who is part of my body by the way they love. It, love is a choice. Love is unconditional. Love is a demonstration. Love is a sacrifice. Ephesians 5.1 said, Be imitators of God, therefore, and dearly love children, and live a life of love. That's what we're to do. Unconditional, sacrificial, giving our life away to those around us. That's the love. A love toward God, but toward believers and non-believers. Jesus said it this way. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You also love one another. Is there somebody in this congregation you don't like? Is there somebody in the world you hate? And sweet friend, you need to take that to God. That person may never repent, may never come back. But understand, your relation depends not upon your salvation. It depends because God took the initiative out of love to come to you while you were yet a sinner. And if God did that, do you think he expects the same thing of you? In love. The Greek word here is agape. That is unconditional love. We're to love one another. And to be truthful, Gordon Curl says this, I've never heard anyone say I left the church because they loved me too much. Love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. How do I get that love? It's not natural. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. That's how you get it. Discretion, respect, Self-discipline, faith, loving, and perseverance. The last word that is used is in patience. It's two Greek words. The two Greek words mean to abide under. Patience means peace under pressure. The problems, the difficulties that all of us have, not just senior adults, The obstacles that come, can I tell you something? God sends them. Because he's God. You see, God knows what you need to become like Jesus. So he prompts the bank. He moves a cell. God is in control. And he'll do whatever he needs to do to make you like his dear son if you've accepted him. If you have placed your eternal hope on him through Jesus Christ, then you belong to him. A life of perseverance means remaining faithful under difficult circumstances. That's what it means. It means I have a confidence in God so strong that, Lord, I'll hang in there. I won't give up. I won't walk away. In the midst of turmoil, 
in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of heartache, my anchor is my faith in God. And I do not lose heart when my expectations aren't met. You know why it's hard to keep harmony in a congregation? Because everybody has their own expectations. But the scripture says, place your expectations in God. The servant of the Lord, through disappointment, unfulfilled aspirations, physical weakness, is tempered like steel because of their faith walk in God. How can that be? Romans 8, 28. And I know that for those who love God, that's key, can't do this without that. All things work together for good. Let's go back. That doesn't work unless you love God. Unless you trust him. That all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. See that? It's his purpose. Discretion, respect, self-discipline, faith, love, perseverance. She was a little girl. And she was coming back with her grandmother from Sunday school and church. And as they were going back home, she said to her granny, Granny, I learned this morning that God is bigger than we are. Is that right? And granny said, yes, honey, that's right. God is bigger than we are. And that God is so big, she said, that he can hold the world in his hand. Is that true? Yes, honey, that is true. God is so big, he can world, hold the world in his hand. The little girl began to look confused. And she said, I also learned that to be a Christian, I have to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin and come into my life. Is that true? The granny thought for a moment and then responded quickly, yes, it is, hon. It is true that To be saved, you have to confess your sin, come to Christ and ask him to forgive you and invite God into your life. The Holy Spirit, she said, to make sure the little girl understood. Once again, the little girl was puzzled. And she asked this, Granny, if God is bigger than us and God lives in us, won't he show through us? The question I would ask you today, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not asking you to have all these things down pat. But I'm asking you, whatever age you are, is God showing through you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would ask in these moments that truly, Lord, you would minister to us and give us grace. But Lord, there's time when we need to make a decision. When old things need to be put away and new things need to come. The old fears, the old hurts, 
need to be put from our life and replaced not by us trying harder, not by us being perfect, but to be replaced by a faith in you. That no matter the years, no matter the obstacles, that faith cannot be destroyed. And it begins with a relationship with Jesus. It always begins in a relationship. It begins by simply saying, Lord, I'm not adequate. I can't do it. And Lord, I need a life companion that will walk with me all through this life and into the next. I need someone to forgive me. I need someone to care for me. I need someone to love me. Will you do that? And then, Lord, the journey begins. Trusting you. Studying your word. Making our life's desire to please you. And the miracle begins. And you walk with us. And before we even realize it, Lord, we're at a point where going home with you is closer than going back. And you welcome us home. That's our desire. And our greatest desire is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.